Welcome to the Sweet Tooth Vegan Podcast. I am your host, Shalina, and you're listening to episode 31. And this is also the season four opener. I can't believe that I have made it this far in my podcasting journey. I'm so thankful, so excited, um, and I'm just so proud of myself. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. In this episode, I had the privilege of interviewing my friend Sheldemar. We explore the question of should everyone go vegan? And it is it was a very insightful conversation. And when you listen to this episode, you will pick up or may or may not pick up that I kind of sound like a broken record because I like a re- reoccurring thing that, that I say throughout the episode is I had no idea I had no idea <laughs> and yeah it was just very enlightening and I learned a lot and I was inspired and that is my hope for you too for people listening I hope that you learned something new and are inspired to either go vegan or if you are vegan are challenged in the way that you outreach to non-vegans and um, think about the question of should everyone go vegan. So without further ado, here is episode 31. Also quickly, if you are interested in following Sheldemar on social media, his Instagram handle is at Sheldemar. So yeah, without further ado, here is episode 31. When was the last time you went to the movies? Ah, uh, the last time I went to the movies. I haven't been to the movies in a while, actually. I I think the last time I went to the movies was back in October. And I watched this film with my friends. It was um, a Bollywood film, and it was called Mr. and Mrs. 420. Oh, okay, cool. And, yeah, I don't, I don't know how we decided to watch that film, but... It was very entertaining. <laughs> um, I, I don't remember the premise of it entirely, but it was a good movie. It was a really neat film. Cool. Yeah. When I was in middle school, I had like I went through a phase of Bollywood uh, movies because most of my friends at that time was they were all Indian. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they got me into that. <laughs> they're they're great films because they have like a lot of um, musical aspects to them. Uh-huh. So it's very entertaining. It goes from like serious to music and then back to serious. And it's like, wow, yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Cool. And yeah, yourself? Uh, yeah, for me, the last time I went was, I think last month, I went with my little brother. We went to go see the Lego movie, too. Mm. Um, I didn't really like it. I found it boring, but it was <laughs> just like a outing with my siblings. So he enjoyed it. Yeah, that's always a good time. Yeah. Cool. Um, next one is, what was the last song you listened to? Oh, gosh. I'm always <laughs> listening to music. Um, I think the last one that stuck in my head was um, Getaway by the band The Internet. Oh, never heard of them. Yeah, they're really great. Uh, great song, great vibes, great band. <laughs> yeah, cool. that was the last song. I listened to it this morning, actually, a few minutes ago. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Oh, check them out. Yeah. yeah, you should check them out for sure. I just recently 
bought the EP um, by the artist Coffee. Coffee's EP. Coffee? Yeah, she's a new reggae artist coming up from Spanish Town. Mm. Um, yeah, and the last song I listened to was from her. It's called Toast. I'm obsessed. Toast. Nice. Toast by Coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I'm obsessed. That's funny. Yeah. She spells funny. it with a K. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. All right, and um, next one is, when was the last time you laughed hysterically? Mm. <laughs> I'm always laughing, but laughing hysterically? I think it was. It might have been last weekend, and I was watching a show with my girlfriend, and we were watching Broad City. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. No, I've never heard of that one. Broad City is such a funny show. And the premise is these two girls that live in New York. And they're kind of just like oddballs, to say the least. And they just have all these adventures that happen on their day-to-day lives. And um, it is, to me, is so, so funny. And that was definitely the last time I, I laughed hysterically because every episode something new is happening. And it's, cool. yeah, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> cool, cool. What, does that come on, like, Netflix or... No, it, I used to watch it on television, but um, we just started streaming it online. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah, check it out if you ever have time. Broad City. Broad City, cool. Yeah. Yourself? Uh, for me, it was actually Thursday. Was it Thursday? Yeah, Thursday. So, um, at, I work with kids, and at work, this week was March break, and so we did, like, special activities with them. So on Thursday, I did a baking activity with them, mm-hmm. and they're, this group I worked with, they're in kindergarten, so like I really, like when I'm doing the activity with them, I'm stressing, like hygiene, make sure you wash your hands, don't put your hands in your mouth, don't pick your nose, right. <laughs> and then, because um, I'm a, I'm a germaphobe, kind of, and so I caught one of the kids picking their nose. <laughs> and then my co-worker she actually took photos of the activity so she sent them to me and like she got she took a photo of me catching the child picking their nose and like my eyes are like big and like pointing it was really funny exposing them <laughs> yeah that was funny the picture was... yeah <laughs> children <laughs> yeah there's they're something yeah all right, and the last question for the game is, when was the last time you went on a trip? Ooh, um, back in December, I was lucky enough to go to Turkey. Mm. And I was in Turkey um, with an organization called AZEC, and I was doing a volunteer opportunity. <laughs> so, yeah, I was in a high school, high school slash middle school, teaching uh, fifth graders, ninth graders, and tenth graders, just uh, English and vocabulary, essentially. Nice. Um, but yeah, that was a really cool trip because I was there for a month. And in between volunteering, I was able to explore the country. So I was able to go. I was located in a city called Izmir. But throughout the trip, I was able to go to Istanbul. Uh, I went to Cappadocia. I went to a nearby city called Ephesus. And uh, yeah, Turkey was phenomenal. It was such a beautiful place. That's so awesome. rich with history and culture. Uh, people are super friendly. It's 
definitely not easy being vegan there. <laughs> mm. But uh, there was one vegan restaurant in the city that I became a regular at. And all the waiters knew me and all the servers knew me. Because um, okay. the food was just so delicious. Okay. So, um, yeah, that was my last trip. And I miss Turkey a lot. It was a great time. Wow, I bet. Yeah, what kind of food do they have there? So, the food that I could eat was... Um, they have a lot of salads and bread and olives and like those type of appetizers, but they also have uh, different pastas. Um, they have a they have this type of wrap and it's called a chekovte. So it is ground up uh, barley and another type of wheat, and they mix it with all these types of spices. And essentially, it looks like a raw meatball. Oh. And what they do is they spread it. They, read it, they spread it along like a tortilla, and then you fill it up with different vegetables and then sauces. Then they wrap it up, and it looks like a, kind of like a burrito, but cold. But it's it's super delicious. And like that was like my main item that I get every single day because there's a Chikofta shop right beside where I was living. Right. Um, but besides that, a lot of soup, uh, a lot of beans, uh, fries is a go-to just because there's fries <laughs> everywhere. Um they had another dish called gozleme, so it's like a potato pancake, okay, and cool. um, so it's like a really long flatbread, and it's it's made out of flour and salt and water, and then they fill it with shredded potato, and you can add spinach, mushrooms, and then that's kind of like a breakfast meal, so you just walk around and eat that. Um, yeah, they, there's a lot of baked goods, a lot of good like uh, pastries, cool. and um, yeah, it was really good. At times, I was like, man, like... I could really just go for like a vegan burger or mm-hmm. something different but the, at that restaurant in particular they sold um or they made mock meat in store so it was really cool i got to try a lot of turkish uh meals like kebabs and doners and something called iskander where it incorporates a lot of beef traditionally but because i had the mock meat that was made from soy they just substituted that and uh it was super delicious and they made their own like garlic sauce garlic sauce in-house and yogurt sauce and tahini and all these delicious foods nice yeah really good cool yeah yourself uh for me it was last summer i went to manitoulin island um northern ontario kind of northern Yeah. yeah um so a couple of years ago i had an internship at a first nation reserve up there and that was back in 2014 and I never went back um until last summer and it was such an amazing reunion in time um I went for their uh powwow weekend nice um so the reserve's called Wikwemakong unceded reserve um and they have a huge powwow on in August the same weekend as caravana weekend okay so yeah, I, I went by myself. I drove. Wow. How long was that drive? <laughs> Very long. Um, <laughs> I think it took a total maybe eight hours or nine hours because I took a long the long route because um, that's the summer where we had those bad forest fires. Right. So the quicker route, um, they blocked it off because of the smoke. So yeah, I had to go to North, drive to North Bay first, and then come back around to Manitoulin. Oh sh- shoot! Yeah, it was quite the experience though. 
I can imagine. And you said you were there for a weekend or a week? Uh, no, just the weekend. Um, weekend. Yeah, because I have to go back to work, sadly. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> or it gets in the way of like everything. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that concludes our game. Thanks for playing. Thank you. And we'll get into the interview questions. Sounds good. All right, so the first question is, what's your vegan story? Ah, uh, my vegan story. Well. It starts with young Sheldamar in grade 11, geography class. And I remember being in this class, and I had a teacher at the name of Mr. Paniska. And Mr. Paniska, I think that class in particular was on climate change or global warming, like the intro to that idea. And he was sharing a personal story of the fact that, or how him and his family started Meatless Mondays. And they did that in order to reduce their ecological footprints uh, by just like reducing the amount of meat that they eat every week. And at first I didn't understand it, but he began to elaborate and was teaching the class on how uh, emissions, like methane emissions that come from cows and processes along the agricultural, animal agricultural uh, process really contributes to climate change and global warming, et cetera, et cetera. So this is me at grade 11, and I was trying to rationalize everything he was saying, but it was a really big concept. So I remember just taking immediate action and being, you know what, if Mr. Paniska can stop eating meat once a week, I want to stop eating meat once a week. So initially I cut out beef and chicken, and I actually did it for three, almost a month straight. And my family thought it was something wrong with me and like, <laughs> didn't really understand how I was coming from. And also, like, I was quite young, so, again, like, I still depended on my parents' food. But my mom was really accommodating, and she was understanding, like, why I wanted to do this. So, yeah, this was grade 11, and then grade 12 came around, and I started eating meat again. But then I enrolled in university at Ryerson, and I decided to go into environmental and urban sustainability. And... In that program, uh, I think it was in my first year, I began thinking a lot critically about myself as I was learning more in depth about climate change and the impacts it has on people and the planet and ecosystems, etc. So it was in my first year or second year that I decided to entirely remove pork from my diet. And then after that, I took beef out of my diet. And then slowly but surely, I was able to remove poultry and then um, I decided to go pescatarian. So while I was pescatarian, I thought I was going to be pescatarian for a while. But I guess I was educating myself more and more on veganism. Right. So I, I slowly started to go vegetarian. And I was vegetarian for about six months until it was last year Christmas, where I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm done, like, kind of tricking myself into thinking that I can stay vegetarian because I knew that... I, I kind of needed to go vegan. Like, I, I understood everything around it or just knew that it was the next step. And I felt like I was cheating myself by not doing it. So January 1st came around, and I guess it kind of went hand-in-hand hand with the idea of, like, New Year's resolution. But mm-hmm. I just felt like it was a good time to just, like, do it. Um, so, yeah, last year, January 1st, I went vegan. And 
it was really nice because I still live at home with my parents. So my mom was watching me transition from stage to stage and she got really inspired. So she actually ended up joining me. So she was vegetarian and then she went vegan with me. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a great time because it was, it was really nice having that support from my mom, especially because she does a lot of the cooking at home, um, to be able to help me transition to veganism and to kind of be like an ally. Like she was sharing stuff with me and I was sharing knowledge with her and, um, yeah, I, it just happened and then I never turned back really. I never, never felt the need to look back or rethink it. Uh, so it's been a little over a year now and I'm still vegan. Nice. <laughs> Don't plan on changing. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a transition for sure. And it was, it was a slow process. And I think that's what allowed me to really wrap my head around this lifestyle. Cause I know some folks that decide to go vegan cold Turkey or they do it without really doing some research and they end up having issues regarding their health or they may be uh, malnutritioned or just don't really understand what is necessary in order to keep the body healthy. Um, But yeah, that time that I had in between the transitioning stages allowed me to understand that. So once I did go vegan, I had no problems. I I understood it completely. And um, yeah, been vegan ever since. That's awesome. That's so cool. Like it's your journey kind of started grade 11 and then carried forward, came back to it. In right. And like I was, I was definitely one of those people where, especially in grade 11, I, I didn't even know about veganism. I think I only stumbled across it later on in high school or like early university. And I was definitely like, okay, like I'll never go vegan. Like this is so extreme <laughs> and like all these ideas that it's unattainable. But um, yeah, like being able to, go towards it or move towards it gradually really mm-hmm. allowed me or allowed it to be accessible to me and allowed me to have a better understanding of, uh, of why I was doing what I was doing. Definitely. And I think that's important for people to know that are interested in becoming vegans or at least adding more plants into their diet is you don't have to rush. You don't have to please anyone. Like just do it on your time. Like you're like go by your timing and just don't rush into it because I find that people that rush into becoming a vegan um, sometimes they are the ones that no longer are vegans after a certain amount of time uh, because I I believe like their foundation wasn't really strong to begin with it was just a a fad to them right so yeah, I think, yeah, just take it day by day. Right, and like, just, just go at your own pace, right? Mm-hmm. I think that that's definitely something that, that should be stressed. At least I try to stress when I speak to people about veganism. Right. Is that, like, just take it at your own pace and do what you need to. And even the simplest action of reducing meats to, like, twice a week or three times a week, like, that's already a baby step. Right. And I, I know that that's where I started my journey, so it just makes sense for people to look at it like that and just like it's a very gradual thing exactly mm-hmm. yeah um so yeah um just wanted to also say congrats on getting your article published thank you thank you um yeah i read it was it last night you sent it or the day before mm-hmm. um and the part where you talked about the gender gentrification of 
Parkdale really stood out to me. Um, I had no idea right. of like the history behind like the vegan the vegan Dale takeover. Right. Um, so yeah, that that really shocked me, and I was wondering if you could share a bit on your article and your findings. Yeah. So um, I'll I'll, be, I'll talk briefly on the editorial, but yeah, I, it was really cool. I got approached by someone who works at the Eye Opener and uh, a friend of mine her, by the name of Lydia, and she asked if I wanted to write a piece about something that I cared about and. Obviously, being that vegan person, I was like, you know what, this is a cool opportunity to talk about veganism um, in a different light. So the title of the paper itself is called Veganism of Color. And the reason I did that was to address the fact that mainstream veganism, the way we understand it, is very much whites, like centered around ideals around white folks Mm -hmm. and doesn't happen to take an intersectional approach by looking at the implications veganism has on people and communities and the environment and a a plethora really of different factors. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the article, I speak a little bit about uh, decolonization, which for folks or for listeners who don't know, it's kind of like the idea of rejecting or resisting ideals imposed on us by colonialism. So in that sense, like I mentioned something around the fact that uh, the veganism could be deemed as like an act of decolonization by resisting the idea that we have to eat meats in every single meal that we have. Um, historically or traditionally, a lot of communities of colors, um, places where we originated from, our ancestors and whatnot lived heavily based off of like a plant-based diet. So by understanding this and understanding where we are in today's society, the idea that we have to eat meat with everything Uh, just doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. me technically was a luxury at one point and then uh, with the with the move into the industrial food industry that we live in now became more accessible and more readily available so people felt that if it was once a luxury we might as well eat it all the time now but that's not necessarily the case but as i can go off on that but that was (laughs) kind of the decolonization aspect and i talked a little bit about migrant workers and the fact that many workers in slaughterhouses are uh, immigrants and are forced into terrible conditions. A lot of them are diagnosed with PTSD and other illnesses Mm -hmm. as a result of living or sorry, working in those kind of conditions. Um, But back to what you mentioned before, I also talked a little bit about gentrification. So for people that don't know, gentrification is essentially the idea that it's, it's a result of urbanization. And it's where wealthier people come into an area and increase by trying to live there. It generally increases the the cost of rent and property values. Um, it changes in areas like character and culture and whatnot. So referring to Parkdale, which has historically been a low income neighborhood and also home to many people of color, um, vegans decided that or certain businesses decided to start establishing vegan shops and vegan restaurants in that area. And as a result of that, it is causing gentrification and is also forcing folks that have lived there for a long time to be moved out. And this isn't fair (laughs) by any means necessary. It's, it's 
gentrification is a process that's going to happen regardless. It's it's slightly mm-hmm. inevitable just because urbanization is a, a process in itself and it continues. Mm-hmm. But for people living there, they're left with very little options. And then and with Vegandale in particular, there's the vegans there are predominantly white folks and a lot of the businesses that were they were building up had um like kind of just expressed like moral superior superiority over folks so i know there's issues where like one of the places in particular it's called vegan del brewery they had a slogan on their wall saying um our morality is on tap or something mm-hmm. regarding morality and like basically implying that vegans have this moral uh or like are one step up in the moral chain of stuff if you want to say oh, wow. uh, compared to non-vegans because they don't consume animals and i think that's it gets tricky there because we could talk about ethics we could talk about morals but it's not fair to assume that your morals are better than another person's exactly. and that, that should never be the case I think if like vegans that want to spread the message should provide research or provide evidence or provide just literature to folks so that they can do the research themselves and just provide people with the resources needed to make that conscious effort. But trying to tell people like, oh, we're more moral than you or you're you're bad because we eat meat in the simplest terms is just not right. Um, and then on top of that, like I know the the business owners so i know the there's a few restaurants in particular that is owned by one company and they're called uh 5700 incorporation and they own doomies uh vegan dale brewery uh there's another clothing store that they own they also own another uh restaurant called mythology diner and these places promote veganism but they do it in an unapologetic way and again it doesn't they're also doing it without taking into consideration the people living there. So they they haven't been doing the best in trying to have non-vegans uh, or like employing non-vegans at their restaurants, um, not in, like offering cheap meals to low-income residents. And again, with the like the moral morality-related slogans, like it's just kind of a slap in the face for people that have been living there for so long to right. just be uprooted by this new uh demographic of people and then on top of that be slandered for not sharing similar morals it it becomes a huge problem and um yeah it's gentrification is (laughs) real it's it's sad that this is happening um i know that there's been forums and there's been talks amongst members of parkdale and folks that are trying to continue vegandale but I don't think, as of yet, they've come to like a clear consensus. And I do know that the gentrification is continuing, and the prices of those properties is increasing. Mm. Um, and it's just sad that corporations and companies are able to capitalize on cheap properties and on cheap areas where they can buy, uh, they can buy or build up establishments for cheap prices, but not take into consideration or be considerate of the people that were living there. Yeah, backwards. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, it's frustrating because I feel like like a situation like this kind of feeds into the idea around white veganism, white, like the fact that, like, they can just, I don't know, a lot of it comes to capital, uh, like, 
yeah, <laughs> I could go off about this really, but capitalism's real, and um, yeah, it's just frustrating. It's frustrating that these folks have to deal with this problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for writing that article because I had no idea of that um, story. Because when I first heard about Vegandale, I was excited. I'm like, oh, cool, a little town of like vegan central, vegan right. restaurants and stuff. I had no idea it was Parkdale. Uh, <sighs> Like, they basically took over. Right. It, it yeah. is. And, like, because, like, that neighborhood has traditionally been home to, like, immigrants, low-income people, you'd wish or at least hope that the companies or, like, the places moving in would be inclusive of this and, like, understanding and try to employ these folks. So, like, yeah, include exactly. them in discussion, but they're just completely overlooked and just not not thought of. Wow. And then it's it's kind of contradictory when you think about it because... These establishments are claiming to be uh, self-righteous and like all about morality, but where's the morality when you're not thinking about the people that you're actually impacting directly mm-hmm. by having these places, right? Exactly. So again, like prioritizing animal lives over some people, it becomes a really, uh, really slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And like that whole point of, um, was it, I forget the name of the restaurant you mentioned of their slogan, their mor- morality on on tap or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, vegan dough brewery. Yeah, like, I mean, you could. That's still wrong because, like, you could be vegan and cruelty free, but you could also be racist. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So, like, who are <laughs> you to say yeah. your morals are on top? You know? Right, and then it also. Again, just going back to like the mainstream idea of veganism, it's kind of saying like, oh, like we're super moral, we're cruelty free, like vegans created this idea of cruelty free, but you can go back to other religions and other like other communities around like Hinduism or Jainism or Rastafarianism where these religions predominantly live off vegan lifestyles, but they're always left out of the conversation. When we think about a vegan, we think about like a place like Vegandale where they're selling like burgers and all this stuff and then also preaching animal rights. But these religions that go back centuries or some of them at least go back centuries, they've, they've understand this idea from time. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's sad that they get left out of the conversation. Wow. And thank you. Thank you for, again, writing that article and sharing that information. Um, I'm going to link the, the um, article in this podcast people could check it out oh yeah thank you yeah so kind of relating to what you were saying about like the people like those businesses should have a more i guess sensitive approach when talking about veganism to that community and um i was wondering like being a person of color do you think sharing the vegan message differs depending on the demographics of the people you're trying to reach so like race culture um most definitely <laughs> and i think the so a lot of the experience i have speaking to non-vegans happens on campus because i'm still a student so like i just for background context uh, i work with the ryerson student union and i'm a coordinator at the rich life students collective so 
it's really neat because I get to speak to a lot of folks that come in and out of those offices and like to a lot of my, my community members and people that I, I, uh, that see me on a daily basis. Like they know I'm vegan. I'm like that black vegan guy. <laughs> and I've had these discussions with folks, but particularly with people of color or actually particularly with black folks, we'll just use them. For example, like being a black person myself, I realized that food is a very important part of people's culture and it's a way for them to either stay connected to their roots or uh, just to understand their culture and like be a part of it and especially being folks of the diaspora of wherever we're from like this is an important part of being in the west and like trying to cherish uh, your heritage and your ancestry and food again plays a huge role in that but when I talk to black folks about veganism and keeping the idea of food, like a lot of them, it's hard for them to like imagine their life without certain foods. So like chicken or whatever the case may be. So I realize, like when I talk about veganism, there's three platforms that I try to like either understand or um, try to attack, not attack people. Sorry try to target people with. So it's either from the environmental standpoint, uh, ethical, morality standpoint, or from a health standpoint. And from my experience with people talking to people of color, I realized that the points that resonate the most with them often come from the health and individual uh, aspects mm-hmm. or from the environment. I realized that the morality and the ethics uh, point of view doesn't always resonate with people of color because it becomes a problem when you talk, you start talking about animal rights and then you realize that oppression is intertwined and it affects people just the way it affects animals. Right. And as oppressed people and as folks who share different identities and have intersectional approach um, in their own identity, it's hard to try to claim that uh, harming animals or continuing to eat animals is problematic when they see that the systems that oppress us the most still oppress people as much exactly. as oppressing animals. Exactly. So I tend to, yeah, use, talk, try to talk about the health implications of veganism with folks because a lot of them are not aware of like the ideas around protein and the problems around consuming meats and heart disease and cancer and those correlations. Um, that to me like helps them better understand where I'm coming from. And then also the environmental aspect, right? Because climate change is real. Um, climate change is definitely going to be, I think it already is, but in the next 20 years, it's going to be a problem that is posed against the human race entirely. But yeah. those, again, those two points happen to resonate most with people of color. As when I'm compared to when I'm doing outreach, for example, um, with my student group on campus. So I'm also part of the vegan student group, RU Veg. Great, great group of folks, super cool. But when I'm doing outreach with them and I happen to encounter some white folks or some white students on campus, um, I feel like questions, for example, like, um, can you love animals and eat animals too? A question like that tends to be very thought provoking for some people mm-hmm. and that it really draws them into start questioning their own actions and to question their own ideas of what they do and to kind of critically analyze uh, their own understanding of things. Um, 
but again, that, that that same question doesn't always resonate with other people, particularly people of color, because it's it's very quickly dismissed, which I understand. And I think at the end of the day, like when speaking about veganism or sharing the vegan message, um, I really have to know who my audience is and understanding like where they come from. Uh, uh, try to understand or try to know which identities they hold, and also just be considerate of the fact that we as people of color are dealing with oppression that again is systemic and that is intertwined with animal oppression but uh, we are the direct like we are feeling it the most like white folks don't necessarily feel these things mm-hmm. uh, just because colonialism blah 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 but nonetheless um, yeah it, it definitely differs depending on the demographics and even we can talk about age like not even just like race and culture like when, with ages, I can talk to older folks compared to younger folks, or like kids, for example. I have three, I have four younger siblings, but three of them are much younger, and they're uh, 10, 11, 12. And I'm able to ask them just questions around the ethics of eating. And like, they'll try to come to me saying like, oh, I love dogs. And I'll be like, okay, do you really love dogs though? And they'll be like, oh, like, blah, blah, blah. And I can just, I can pose questions like that. Mm-hmm. But if I'm talking to an older person, they may feel more reluctant and understanding that and also i have to understand that they are they're kind of set in their ways and they've been doing what they've been doing for so long that it's it's hard for me to come along and start challenging them not that i don't because i think that everyone should always self-reflect on their own actions and think critically about themselves that's how growth happens but um yeah even age age determines how i go about talking this and how i which kind of arguments i'll bring up or um, how I want to approach the situation. Um, yeah, it really depends. And in all honesty, it, it can become exhausting at times because there's always so much that you have to take into account. And um, yeah, some people just don't want to hear it. <laughs> um, some people just are not about changing their minds. I The best feeling to me is when you say something to someone and you can kind of see like their gears changing and it's almost like you plant a seed and now you're just waiting for it to sprout Mm -hmm. but um yeah it's it differs and it's challenging at times but it's rewarding to see when people are like when they when they kind of understand it or when they when you make a correlation for example like comparing milk to pus and then people are like oh like i'm drinking pus and it's like yeah (laughs) that always (laughs) gets them Uh, and then you follow up like a few months later and they're like, yeah, like I cut dairy out. Like now I'm just eating, I'm just drinking almond milk. And I'm like, that's amazing. Like that's, that's a baby step. And back to what we were saying before, like it's a gradual process. So, uh, yeah, it, it, do, it definitely differs depending on who, who I'm chatting with. Right. Yeah. I think that's very important for fellow vegans to consider that. Like, who are you talking to? What's your approach? Um, I mean, you can't please everyone, but it's also good to just be aware that you're not offending people. Right, Uh, and then, like, we have to take into account, like, other aspects regarding, uh, like, socioeconomic backgrounds or uh, accessibility, right? Because food insecurity is very real. Um, There's many communities in the city of Toronto that are dealing with food insecurity and are uh, located in food deserts. And for folks that don't know what food deserts are, they're essentially areas around the city where uh, like fresh or affordable nutritious food just isn't readily available or where you have to travel an extensive mile or extensive 
distance just to get to a grocery store. Many communities in the city, like their closest place to grab food or grab groceries, maybe just a convenience store or like a small little market, as compared to some communities that are more affluent and more higher income. There's Longos and there's Whole Foods and there's this and there's that. So I think it's a, it's really important, again, for me when speaking to uh, marginalized folks that accessibility is something I talk about because uh, for many people, like they just don't have that privilege to say that they can just go to a grocery store that should be close to them but isn't and then pick up um, like foods or, um, yeah, even fast food, like, if you're only surrounded by like Burger King, McDonald's, etc., like it makes it hard for you to pick up a quick vegan bite to eat because your options are so limited compared to someone who may live downtown or uh, live in Saga. Like they'll have more options. That's very interesting because in my um, last uh, podcast series, Black Vegan, I was speaking to a couple of women from the States and that topic of food deserts came up. And actually, I had no idea that there were food deserts in Toronto. Mm-hmm. No idea. Wow. It's it's sad. Like that, that's crazy. What what neighborhoods specifically do you know? Well, it depends. Like I know there's like Toronto in itself is broken up into so many different like wards and communities. Yeah. But I would say like generally lower income neighborhoods. So we can say some places in the East End. So um, like in Etobicoke, like. Uh, like northern Etobicoke, there's food deserts, um, more mm-hmm. inner city places in Scarborough. Uh, it, it really depends. And again, typically the people that are if impacted the most tend to be people of color, right. black and brown and indigenous folks. Right. And, uh, and again, like just kind of going back to what I was just saying, like when I'm speaking to these folks in particular, like I, I really tiptoe around that idea because I realize accessibility is something that is so so important when talking about uh food at the end of the day and um it's stressful because like we do have services like food banks and community gardens and community kitchens that help alleviate hunger or help alleviate like problems around food insecurity but technically it is a federal problem and um i just don't think the government is doing enough to address the fact that communities are just not getting enough food Mm -hmm. um I know nationally, like, it's northern Canada and, like, the territories and indigenous communities in particular that are dealing with this the most and yeah, the hardest. Definitely. Uh, but then we can go to question why this is, and I think it just goes back to colonialism and mm-hmm. um, the colonial project that Canada is continuing. But I feel like that's a discussion in itself. Yeah, for sure. Um, wow. Yeah, it's unfortunate. That's Wow. <laughs> I'm really thinking, I had no idea. Right. I, I know it's, uh, yeah. Wow. It's, it's not easy. It's not an easy topic. Wow. So, do you think, like, when I first became vegan, um, like, this question of should everyone be vegan came up with me, came up um, in reflection. And for me, I'm, a, I guess a quiet vegan like I don't really do outreach and I don't really talk about it um outside of my podcast or if it comes up in conversation I'll like put in my two cents but I'm not really out there um but yeah talking to you is definitely inspiring 
to uh, thank you thank you that means a lot yeah um so yeah one thing as i was saying um like do you think like i i always reflected on this question do you think all people should be vegan because um like for me i'm um uh, i consider myself an ally with indigenous peoples of canada and i think about the inuit people in northern canada and i don't think so like i don't like for me personally i don't believe that because for example inuit people in our country they don't have plants up there like their only source of food for survival is is like seals and like whales and stuff Actually, I don't know if they eat whales, but like, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I was wondering if, like, what are your thoughts on that? Should should everyone be vegan? Right. Uh, great question. <laughs> but I'm definitely with you on it. Like, I think in a utopia or in an ideal world, everyone would be vegan. Um, I like to say that the future is vegan because I don't. I see that it's becoming an important. Uh, an important topic that people are starting to consider and be more open to. But back to your question, like, no, I don't think everyone should be vegan. I don't think it's fair for me to think that everyone should be doing something because I think I'm damn just another person, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's hard for me to impose my ideas of what the world should be or how people should live their lives and try to influence or like uh, try to make people change in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, definitely not all people should be vegan, but for, yeah, any people in northern Canada or just indigenous people in the country, um, I don't think they necessarily have to go vegan. And I make this really clear when I talk to folks about veganism is that I think when you live in a city like Toronto or in other places in Canada like Montreal or Vancouver, we have the privilege of going to a grocery store and picking a either picking or choosing the vegan or non-vegan option, right? And I think when we're when we're getting in our conventional food system, which is backed by capitalism, neoliberalism, but is industrial, and all of the food that we understand is industrialized, we'll go to the supermarket and we're buying bundles of, I don't know, broccoli or peppers that has been through the industrial process. Same thing with animals. Um, that's what I'm like, you know what? If you have that option to pick a, pick either one, you sh- you don't have to pick the non-vegan option. Mm-hmm. Um, so for indigenous folks, like at least in northern Canada, because they're not necessarily a part of that industrial food system, I don't think that the same idea or that because they're not a part of it, they don't have to make that decision. Uh, I'll also stress the fact that like I. I'm a settler on this land. Like, my family came here from other places, right? And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like, we're on stolen land. Indigenous Mm -hmm. people have been here for forever. (laughs) For lack of better words, right? So I don't think, I don't, I'm I'm in no right to tell an Indigenous person or Indigenous folks what to do um, as someone who's on their land. I agree. And also, like, the idea that, like, vegans are, at least I hope, like the general idea around veganism is to try to do as least harm as possible, uh, specifically like by not consuming animal products, but also trying to take into consideration like environmentalism and migrant workers, etc. 
And I feel that indigenous people historically have always lived off the land and they've, uh, they've always had that, that innate respect towards nature and towards the animals that they hunt and um, towards the waterways and the air. And I feel like they already share the same, I don't want to actually, like not that they share, but they, they have that innate respect for the land and the animals and like hunting for them is a way of life. Mm-hmm. And it's on top of that, it's sustainable and um, they have that inherent right to do that. So um, yeah, I would never, ever, ever be that person to be like, you know what, like, yeah, indigenous people have to go vegan or northern communities should go vegan because food insecurity is already affecting them. So trying to, yeah, trying to impose veganism on top of the fact that they're dealing with food insecurity is just like a double blow and it doesn't, um, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make their, yeah, it just, it kind of just, yeah, it's, it's quite rude. Yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Like, yeah. Um, I agree. And, yeah, just to go back to it, like, who am I to try to make that change or, like, try to tell them what to do? Right. So um, I always have that that focus on living in cities where you do have access to a grocery store, if you have access to a grocery store that has not – or, sorry, has vegan options. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's what I would vouch to consider veganism. Yeah. But if that's not the case, then uh, my message isn't it, – it's not quite relevant to other folks. Right. Well said. My thoughts exactly. Right. Then. And like I, it's it's a question I get a lot, and um, yeah, it's it's yeah, I th- it's sad actually because I've read some articles where uh, vegans who are white in particular have gone to northern communities oh, and have no. tried to tell indigenous people like, oh um, no no like no, why no. yeah <laughs> see I can I can hear you like cringing yeah like, <laughs> oh, God. yeah they. they they try to shame indigenous folks oh, um, for like using pelts or for hunting and doing all these things. But it's, it's like, who are you? Exactly. <laughs> you know, like, what are you, what are you trying to say? Like, you have no right to do this, nor should you be doing this. Like you, this is not your place. Um, and also understanding like context, like <laughs> should not be here. Like we, uh, we're on stolen land. Like this is, it's, the whole thing right mm-hmm. it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> back to decolonization but yeah, yeah wow those groups clearly did not think through it, it's so insensitive and it's uh... it's so inconsiderate and um again it perpetuates white supremacy and the mm-hmm. colonial project and trying to impose ideals or try to make people change against their will it's like no this is not what should be happening and it yeah, yeah, it ties into so many other things, but it's it's bad. It's really mm-hmm. bad. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. It's there's so much to unpack here, but yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> and just to conclude our uh, episode, I was wondering if we could kind of close off with. Um, like seeing talking about veganism from an environmental perspective um, you're actually the first person I know that like um, is a vegan for environmental reasons or like that's kind of what led to you becoming vegan yeah Um, so yeah I was just wondering if you could explain what what it means to be a vegan from an environmental perspective 
and why is it important to consider this um, aspect of veganism? For sure. So, um, as I mentioned, like I'm studying environmental and urban sustainability, um, and I see climate change as a huge threat to essentially all life on Earth. Um, at the end of the day, like it, not to get all gloom and doom, but if climate change persists and it does what it is doing, um, Earth will always be here, but uh, life on Earth will just not be the same or mm. may not exist. So when I think about it in those terms, and I think about the time that we do have to try to mitigate the problems uh, like that is correlated with climate change regarding like uh, rising sea levels and deforestation, ocean dead zones, droughts, loss of biodiversity. Um, I think it's important for people to understand uh, our impact on an individual level mm-hmm. and our own ecological footprint. So for listeners that may not be familiar with that term, uh, an ecological footprint is basically the measurement of human demands on nature. So technically like the quantity of nature it takes to support people or an economy. Okay. So the amount of water it takes, the amount of energy it takes for you to do your day-to-day actions, whether it be brushing your teeth or what you eat or how, how like w- the process it took for what you're eating to become the food that you're about to eat and all the energy and stuff that goes into it. And I think understanding that the planet is has finite resources and with our global population increasing uh we should just try to like take into consideration our own actions and the way they impact stuff and i know some people may may not think about it in the sense of like a collective because on an individual level you may feel well like how is my own action really going to do much change mm-hmm. um i think just enable to change others you got to be able to change yourself and I think once you're able to do something for yourself um, or change certain actions, you'll influence others. And keeping the idea of collect, like the, the collective in mind, it just it helps go against the problem. Mm-hmm. And something I want to touch up on really quickly before like sharing some facts on like why I think this is important is the fact that some may argue that neoliberalism basically tells is kind of like a contributor and perpetuates veganism because capitalism and neoliberalism are essentially the root causes of our environmental problem. Mm. Um, if it wasn't for profit-driven markets and like the extraction of fossil fuels and consumerism and materialism, this stuff wouldn't be happening. So neoliber- neoliberalism is interesting because it kind of makes... Uh, it kind of forces the individual to have their own right and to do things for themselves. But I think it's it's important to share information about veganism, but not try to force people to go vegan because that's kind of what neoliberalism wants you to do. Um, but yeah, this is something I want to touch on. But essentially, like the environment is, it's really taking a hit when it comes down to animal agriculture. And environmental racism is something that is also really scary because typically marginalized communities and people of color um, happen to be the targets of a lot of problems with the environment. So, for example, like we could talk about the uh, 
like pipelines in northern Canada, right. which is impacting indigenous communities. Like that's a form of environmental racism because they are the ones who are being directly impacted by um, the, the extraction of fossil fuels and all this stuff, but are not receiving anything from it. They're simply just the uh, they're just feeling the consequences of certain actions. On top of that, like slaughterhouses are sometimes placed in communities of people of black, uh, like black communities and brown communities. So I feel like uh, environmental racism is something to take into consideration when talking about climate change, talking about the impacts of the animal agriculture industry. Um, the example I gave briefly was like the idea that like pipelines, for example, which is impacting um, indigenous communities in Canada. Uh, particularly in the north or a more famous or i shouldn't say famous but another notorious example is flint michigan where um like a black city of like a city of flint which is primarily made of black folks uh the water is poisoned with like dangerous levels of lead Mm -hmm. and has been leading to serious health consequences but like the governments the local and federal governments still haven't tried to haven't done the most to address the problem um i've actually done more to try to cover it up instead of like deal with the issue so it's just another form of racism but it's in the environmental context because these people are being oppressed uh first because of who they are primarily black folks and then on top of that uh, it's their environment that is actually the cause of the problem that they're dealing with so we're talking about that and there's there's another film I saw, I forget where I saw it, but I think it was somewhere in the States and they were showing the example of slaughterhouses that are built up or that are moved into low income communities and the slaughterhouses themselves. Um, there's a lot of feces and, um, urine and a lot of stuff that goes, that mixes with the local, uh, air and atmosphere and that actually poisons the communities that are located beside them so oh, again i forgot where it was but was it community... with the health or Pro- I th- maybe i i, I think they were, yeah, they're they're saying familiar. like the, the community had higher rates of a cancer yeah and lung disease yeah just because they were located right beside the slaughterhouse and this is something that's not new this is again a form of environmental racism where these communities are impacted directly from the results of animal agriculture um which is it's it's terrible because like no one asks for this but again because of race and uh colonialism all that stuff like these people are just impacted the most so then when to, when like that's kind of like the micro effects on a community level of like the problems with climate change and tying into environment uh animal industry or agriculture like on a global uh a global scale i think land is one of the biggest problems so it's my understanding i think it's about 80 billion land animals are slaughtered a year on earth mm-hmm. and when we try to it's first off that that kind of number is astronomical like it's hard to imagine what 80 billion animals looks like Mm -hmm. but when you start to break it down and understanding land for example um it takes about like two to five acres of land per cow to like for them to like graze and live and whatnot um and all of this land kind of 
I think it's about 45% of the earth's land is covered by livestock. So when you start to take into consideration the amount of land that it takes to produce animals, the amount of land it takes to grow the food to feed these animals. And I think there's a statistic around the Amazon rainforest where about 90% of the Amazon rainforest is being cut down for soybean, soybean production, but about 80% of the soybeans are being fed strictly to livestock for us to eat livestock. Wow. These numbers, it, it, they're ridiculous because all of that land, if if that food wasn't being grown for livestock, that food could be being grown for humans. And like, it doesn't have to be just soybeans. Like that land is fertile and can grow different types of crops. So all that space that we're using to feed animals could alleviate famine across the, the, the whole country. Uh, sorry, the entire world, not the country, the world. And I, I think it's about a court, if a quarter of that, a quarter or half of that land was freed up from feeding animals and was used towards feeding humans, we'd solve famine across mm-hmm, the world. For sure, yeah. It's it's ridiculous. Um, but on top of that, like, about, like, the leading cause of rainforest deforestation is from animal agriculture. Wow. And, like, yeah, like, it, it's crazy. Animal agriculture is responsible for about 20% of greenhouse gas emissions, which is more than combined exhaust from all transportation. No way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. Like, and it's because the demand is so high for meat products. And, again, while the global population increases, the demand for meat increases, and this just perpetuates the problems around climate change. And, like, it just worsens everything. Yeah. Um, it's scary. Emissions for agriculture is projected to increase by 80% by 2050 if we don't address the problem. And to be quite honest, like if it gets that, 2050 is a long way, like a, a long time away. Um, but climate change is already impacting us. And I think geographically, we're kind of blessed to be living in Canada because the worst, um, like the worst kind of environmental issues we're dealing with are forest fires, which is a result of drought but on top of that um it's rising sea levels which is impacting the west and the east coast so places like vancouver island and halifax but it's sad that a majority of like the real detrimental environmental problems is impacting the global south and it's when you start to think of it like that it's sad that the global north so like yeah north america europe etc is directly influencing and impacting the quality of life for people that live in Mm. southern continents like south america or africa and asia um it's it's yeah it i could go off on this topic (laughs) but um it, it just frustrates me that like we don't we just we're not addressing we're not making the problem um i don't think we're urgently addressing the problem and i i understand like the onus isn't entirely on people to change their own actions because again if it wasn't for corporations and governments not caring about this problem or like it should be up to corporations to have bigger bans on or stricter bans on energy use so the type of energy they use and like pollution etc mm-hmm. and it should be up to government to have these regulations and to have these policies and check to adjust these problems but i don't think it takes from it takes away from the individual level of us also changing our own actions to be a part of the change and to also kind of practice what we preach in that sense right Mm -hmm. and if we understand 
the impacts of climate change is not just global, it's micro and it's it really really determines the quality of life that we will have in the next few generations and again not just for my life not just for your life but like our children and our grandchildren and it's scary to imagine them growing up in a world that is like where i don't know a third of i think it's yeah a third sorry three quarters of like the fish that we know in the ocean and just gone or like what <laughs> yeah it's it's sad it's about i remember it was wait like, a second wow yeah it's it's terrifying like it's so scary what? i think it's it's like yeah 90 to 100 million tons of fish are pulled from our oceans every year so we could actually see fishless oceans by 2048 oh. like imagine an ocean without fish that it's it's it doesn't even make sense you know so when we actually start taking this stuff into consideration, it's like, whoa, like we're really, we're really messing up the planet. <laughs> and at the end of the day, the planet will always exist. It'll be here without us, but it's sad that it'll get to that point. Mm-hmm. I wish humans really, we just took a stand for like loving this planet and like loving everything on it, whether it be another person or plants or animals, like just understanding that. Uh, this might be coming from a spiritual place, but everything is connected. And I think that we we tend to forget this. We tend to forget that all of our actions has has a reaction or that there's a consequence to all of our actions. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it doesn't it impacts us, it'll impact somewhere someone else or something else in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, like <laughs> it's it's scary when you look at the stats and it, it's um, I'll briefly just touch on something. I was reading an article the other day where someone published a journal or like an essay talking about um, environmental degradation and the like the what the world will look like, I think in a hundred years. And um, it's like being shared viral, like it's a viral essay because people are reading it all over the internet, but a lot of people are actually going to therapy after reading this essay because it's so sad oh gosh yeah i'm scared oh god (laughs) uh, i'll be honest like it's not published by like a uh like a credible organization or like group Mm -hmm. but it is a researcher who did the research himself and he tried to get it published but people were saying that it's too sad or like it's too uh bias for example Mm -hmm. but like it's scary to think about stats that are making people so sad that they're getting help to (laughs) try to confront the problem or try to comprehend it i don't know um yeah kind of changes a lot to think about what's the article called um i'll try to find it i had it okay. saved somewhere but um i forgot where i saved it but i'll share that with you okay yeah oh wow yeah that, that was a lot <laughs> that, was, that was a mouthful yeah i could talk about the environment forever but um i think it's important for listeners or for folks to understand that yeah, like veganism, it has an impact on the environment. Um, and it kind of alleviates a lot of the problems that the environment is dealing with or globally. But again, the responsibility should be on the government to enact more progressive and um, progressive policies and regulations and try to introduce like clean energy and renewable energy and like straying away from like the outdated ideas of like fossil fuels and. Uh, resource extraction and like all these things because 
these are the primary sources of our uh, primary causes of our demise, like our our mm. issue that we're dealing with. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like my mind is blown. This is. I'm so thankful for you to share this information because, like, I had no idea. That's. <laughs> and it takes a lot, right? Like, kind of back to what I was saying before. Like, we can talk about veganism from like the health impacts, which is something that like really resonates with me, but like the environmental is very important and um, yeah, the the ethics as well kind of ties into everything. Yeah, this is definitely inspiring for me to do my research and learn more about um, just how to, I mean, you, I mean, you mentioned like, it's not really an individual responsibility. It's more Mm -hmm. the government, but Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, w- I would love to learn more of how I could play my small part. Right, um, and like, although it isn't our responsibility, I, I don't think it takes away from us trying to be responsible in a sense and like taking all this for our own actions. For sure. But um, yeah, it, it's it's bigger than us, and it should be should be a top down approach from addressing the problem. But uh, right now, it's a bottom up, which is isn't bad. But we just we don't help we don't hold the same power that systems do. Right. And, um, yeah, it's, it's something to take into consideration. Wow. Yeah. What are, um, some tips that we could like listeners and people interested could take on how to reduce our ecological footprint, like based on the information that you shared, like how, now that we have this information, what do we do? (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's a lot because, um, like some would argue that it's more sustainable to eat local food and local produce, and even if you're getting, if you eat meat and you get your meat from a local butcher, then it is sustainable. Sure, does it align with vegan ideals? Not necessarily. Um, so I think it's it's important to be conscious of um, where you're getting your food from, and like the idea of an avocado, for example. Like avocados are delicious. They're like a staple ingredient in many vegan diets uh, because avocado toast is great. Guac is amazing. But uh, like the actual process it takes to grow an avocado is very water intensive. Um, so that's the first step. And then on top of that, um, a lot of av- like farming around certain fruits and vegetables is usually done by marginalized, um, like marginalized folks or uh, immigrants. So the avocado that you're probably eating was probably picked by someone who is socially or economically oppressed. And on top of that, the distance that food has to travel to get to local supermarkets and whatnot um, adds to the emissions of uh, greenhouse gases, mm. which is carbon dioxide and whatnot. So I think it's important to know what kind of food you're eating, where you're getting your food from. Um, not to say that we should stop eating avocados entirely, but we should just be more conscious of uh, when we're eating things. Um, and like, I think the idea of eating seasonally is really important, uh, but then it becomes a question of whether or not it's desirable. And like right now it's winter time in Canada and technically we should be eating like squash and pumpkin and potatoes because that's local and that's seasonal. But the privilege of living in a capitalist society we can go to the grocery store we can get bananas we can get strawberries we can get blueberries so it's 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 hard because like 
all these things are there for us to take and like it's so convenient but we just have to be informed of the implications that it causes on the environment and like trying to just try to take a step back and be like you know what i'll enjoy this today i'll buy this the next day etc mm-hmm. um i think at the end of the day a lot of it just comes down to educating yourself and there's a lot of great documentaries um like including cowspiracy and um uh, there's another one that's oh uh, it was by leonardo dicaprio uh before the flood that was a really good documentary okay. i think these documentaries they add a lot of context to the problem of um climate change and what people can do and i don't think it's fair to say that veganism is the answer above all but it is definitely a step in the right direction and it's something that people should be more considerate of and more open-minded to mm-hmm. and um yeah, on top of that, vegan food's delicious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, like, I feel like a, a lot of people are scared. They're like, oh, vegan food's gross. And, like, quinoa's nasty, whatever the case may be. But you can make delicious vegan food. I think it, it definitely depends on who's making that food. Exactly, um, yeah. Right? And, like, if it's, like, culturally appropriate or familiar, um, then it'll have more of an impact on whether you like it or not. But the people just gotta, just gotta, um, just gotta be willing to try it. Yeah. A lot of time we eat vegan food quotations so we don't even know it like you can grab an apple that's vegan right. <laughs> delicious right or sometimes you'll have a soup and it's fully vegan you won't even notice and it just takes that that idea of unlearning the fact that we don't have to eat meat with everything we don't have to have dairy and all these animal products in our food for it to be delicious mm-hmm. and nutritious and uh, uh enjoyable right yeah. yeah i totally agree um it's all like I, what I tell people all the time. It's all in your seasonings. That's what makes your yes. food good. Yes, you your seasonings yes. down, you, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Like that same, that same statement applies to even for non-vegan folks. Like it, as long as that seasoning is on point and you got your spices in, and yeah. your heat and whatnot, it's gonna be good food. Yeah, it's true. This is true. Yeah, exactly. I remember. Um, at uh, the black the Toronto Black Vegan Festival, a lady came up, older lady came up to my booth, and she's like, "You know what? I've never had vegan food before." And I'm like, "I'm sure you have." <laughs> she's like, "No, I've never." I'm like, well, "What about fruits and vegetables?" Right. She's like, That's... "Oh yes, that is true." <laughs> yeah, I like um, I I get the uh, like people think about vegan food like. I guess living in Toronto, uh, some folks know about Vegandale. They'll just automatically assume that it's like vegan, vegan uh, junk food and comfort food, and that's what vegan food is. But kind of what I was saying before, like Rastafarians, a lot of them follow an ITAL diet, which is vegan. Mm-hmm. So it's just Jamaican cuisine, but veganized, which is delicious. Mm-hmm. Or like a lot of Indian uh, cuisine is vegetarian and vegan. Mm-hmm. Like it, it really depends on. Uh, we're talking about culture, demographic, etc. But um, yeah, it's still, it's great. It's great food. Mm-hmm. It's something that I I'm being more considerate of. Is like trying to trying to bring awareness to veganism by allowing people to try vegan foods. And I think understanding what food tastes like and having um, like showing people that vegan food actually tastes good is a great way to introduce them to the lifestyle and to the idea yeah. um, 
just quickly before we wrap up, I, I was doing outreach once with my vegan student group on campus, or sorry, with the vegan group, uh, vegan group, and we were offering free samples of bean salad to students as long as they came and they engaged with us and we're showing them, we're just sharing some information with them, um, some statistics, et cetera. But that, that particular day of outreach was very, very rewarding because students were coming, they were enjoying the food that they were tasting. They were so surprised that you can get protein without having to eat animals and like all this stuff. And they were shocked by how simple the recipe was for the bean salad. And like, that was like the first time where I was like, wow, like having people eat food, really can change your perspective on something mm-hmm. instead of having to share information and make people think about it for themselves i think having like a tangible physical item that you can enjoy and understand that way um really helps drive the message right yeah i agree mm-hmm. that's what i try to do with my treats that i make as well right um yeah it's, it's, i love that reaction when they're like this is vegan it doesn't taste vegan. Like, oh, yeah. What does vegan taste like? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think this was like a great discussion, rich of knowledge and information, and I'm really thankful that you were able to come on the show. Yeah, thank thank you for having me. This is an amazing conversation. Um, and yeah, I I don't get to have in-depth conversations like this often so uh thank you for having it with me (laughs) yeah no problem same here and that concludes episode 31 i hope that you enjoyed it and learned something from it it was definitely one of my favorite conversations on the show thus far and also um feel free to leave a comment on this episode and let me know what your thoughts are should everyone go vegan do you think yes everyone should or no um also be sure to check out my new website thesweettoothvegan.com and you could subscribe to my emailing subscription list for updates on new podcasts and events that i will be vending at speaking of events in the month of May, I'll be vending at two events. The first one is Saturday, May 11th at the Mississauga Veg Fest. I'm so excited! Last year, I came or went as a guest, as like a consumer, and a year later, I'm coming back as a businesswoman, entrepreneur. Amazing! <laughs> and on the following week, on Sunday, May 19th, I'm going to be at the Black-owned food market at Witchwood Barns. So definitely, if you are in those areas, come and check me out, and I look forward to meeting you. And that concludes, again, episode 31. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know your thoughts. Thank you for listening, and take care.